Okay, what we want to talk about today is Birkat Kohanim. Now we know that in Eretz Yisrael, unlike Chutzlaharetz, the Kohanim spend a lot of time blessing us. Every time we say Shachrit, every time we say Musaf, because every week, every week we can get uh, the Birkat Kohanim eight times, right? Eight times. And uh, well, that's a lot. It's a lot for something that happened uh, to the Jewish people. So the Birkat Kohanim originally was given to the Beit HaMikdash. But after the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash, it turned out we couldn't actually do without it. So we added it into the Shvona Esra. That already appears in the Gemara and Megillah that says that, uh, that Shvona Esra, <coughs> the Gemara and Megillah that says that you know, Shvona Esra had a certain order and a certain way. And, uh, um, so in any event, the Psukim of the Birkat Kohanim appear in the Parashat Naso with an introduction and a summary, right? Introduction and a summarizing passage. Uh, now the introduction is, the introduction is by the Be'ashev and Moshe Leimor. That's the beginning of the introduction, right? That's the introduction to the introduction. This is what uh, you should do. This is the way you should bless B'nai Yisrael. And then that word, Emor Lahem. Say to them. So really, there are too many introductions. Then we should have the bracha. But then uh, the words, Emor Lahem, are added. Like another introduction. Amor What? Amor. Amor, right? Amor, as it, it is, you know, a, a long vowel after the Aleph. Amor, like uh, like it's Sivui. We would call it. We would call it today, but that's not the way Rashi sees it. We'll see in a moment. Mm-hmm. That's what the, that's what the pasuk says. Amor lahem. Rashi says. Those are words that imply a forever. Always do it. What? Infinitive absolute. It could be. You like that word? Infinitive absolute? Okay. So for those of you who uh, went to school once and had their compositions marked up by a teacher who insisted that the infinitive absolutes were either good or bad, you see, Rashi, Rashi thinks that the Torah sometimes uses this word to indicate an ongoing responsibility, like Shamor and Zachor, with Shabbat. Right? We have an obligation of Zachor, and we have an obligation of Shamor, and that means ongoing. Every Shabbat we have to do it. Every Shabbat we have that obligation. Simply here, the Kohanim, to the Kohanim, uh, Hashem says, Emor Lahem. Then we get to the bracha itself. The bracha is Yivarecha Hashem Yishvarecha, the first part of the bracha. Right? Yivarecha Hashem Yishvarecha. Rashi says, Yivarecha. You ready with Rashi? Rashi says, Sheyit Baruchun Nisachecha. In other words, you should make a lot of money. 
you should your your uh, um, your your uh, portfolio should go up. That's it. Rashi says you should be watched. Shelo yavo alecha shodedim you shouldn't uh, have to worry that robbers are going to come and take it away right it's, it's not enough to make money but you have to keep the money that you make so that the robbers it's a bracha that the robbers should stay away right if you give if you give a present to your servant it's very hard to protect that Mikal Adam. Mikal Adam. In other words, you could give your, your slave a present, but I mean you're not gonna hire a policeman to watch it to make sure that nobody steals what he had. I mean that's a little bit that's a little bit difficult. So that's what Rashi says. You should get stuff. You're going to be able to keep it, right? So now Rashi adds, If you give a matana to to a slave, you can't watch over it. The robbers come along with not live on So at the end, he doesn't get anything. He got the matana, but it was stolen from him. Matana, so okay. So Rashi ends. Avalakadish Baruchu Hanotein Huashomer. Abay Medrashim Darshu B'Bobesifri. Abay Medrashim Darshu B'Bobesifri. And the assumption that Rashi actually said those words and put them in. I mean, they're not so common. Rashi doesn't commonly say there are a lot of medrashim, but what, if Rashi said it, and if it's really from the Rashi school of Parshanur, then what it means is <coughs> I don't know the pshat. It was Rashi when Rashi tells you what Chazal said about something, it means that's what it means. That's the pshat. But when Rashi says, well, a lot of Medrashim, a lot of Medrashim I've been quoted, it means that he doesn't really know which of the Medrashim are the Pshat. Because they all kind of approximately fit in, or approximately don't fit in. So that's Yivarecha Hashem Yishvarecha, Ya'er Hashem Panavei Lecha V'yichunecha. I'm going to cool. I mean, I've heard this several times in my life. Ya'er is or, right? Light. Ya'er Hashem Panavelecha, God's face will light up to you, right? Great for a drusha, great for a wedding, great for shaving, but great for everything. Just who knows what it means? Vichuneka, that Hebrew word Vichuneka. Chain. Chain. I mean, it's good, but I don't know what it is. Like we say today, you say, oh, he has a lot of chay, or she has a lot of chay. I guess it means something, but I don't know exactly what it means. <coughs> you have to come earlier. So you can get... Oh, so you don't have to come earlier. 
No, I didn't mean that. I had a half. Another, I didn't mean you should come earlier. I had another half a sentence. If you came earlier, you'd get a seat on the men's side. That's what, that's what I meant to say. But if you if, if you if you're davening uh, uh, married, then the Kodesh Baruch is watching out for you. So here it is. Uh, uh, here it is. I mean, I know what that means. I don't know what it means. Rashi says, Hashem panav elecha." Is that the pasuk that we're reading? Yair or Hashem panav elecha. Means happy, friendly, friendly face. A friendly face. Panim tsuhubot. Panim tsuhubot. What does tsuhub mean? Yellowish. I guess you know you you could see a person, happy person, like his skin color is nice, his look is nice. So that's a Kodesh Baruch Even though we try to avoid saying things like that, but here, the Torah says it. So if the Torah says it, I guess I could say, Yeah, and then uh, the the pasuk says Vichuneka. You see the pasuk Vichuneka. Rashi says, Yitain lacha chen. Yitain lacha chen. Who had chen? Who had chen? Noach. Yafet. Noach Motzar Chayim. Noach Motzar Chayim. What does that mean? Rashi doesn't even try to explain it in, in the end of Pasha Gracious. Right? There's no explanation. But Chayim, Chayim was good enough to get Noach through the Mabu. Like he didn't die. So I guess his Chayim was like a value. But again, to say, to say about a Kodesh Baruch Hu, who knows what that means? The last pasuk is the is the summary. So this is not a bracha, but it says, What does that mean? What? Pasuk Kavav. I did it or I didn't do it? Oh, Ya'er Hashem Panabe Lecha? Yes, next one. Lecha. Oh, there we go. The same with Hashem. I mean, I don't know what any of this means. It's like terrible when you know what the words mean, but you don't know what it's saying. If you don't know what the words mean, then there's hope. Somebody will give me a dictionary. I'll look it up. I'll find out what the words mean. So then I'll know what the Pesach says. But if I know what the words mean, and I don't understand it, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. So then there's the summarizing Pesach for someone at Shmuel ben So if you didn't have enough mystery in this whole story, Okay. I mean, the specific <coughs> problem that I would like to try to clarify, and it won't be easy, is what do the Kohanim have to do with all of this? If a Kodesh Baruch wants to bless people, who I guess have done the right thing, 
and give them some advantage for other. I mean, why do we need the Kohanim? Why did the Kohanim have to say, Obviously, we know, the second paragraph of Kriyat Shema, seems to say that if you do the right thing and you keep the mitzvot, then it'll rain when it's supposed to rain, and it'll stop raining when it's supposed to stop raining, <coughs> and you will be rewarded. You will be rewarded as you should be rewarded. So what is it? What is it that's happening here? Now before we try to explain that, I want to give you a little bit of information. The first, uh, the first uh, uh, passage here on the, is, is from the Yerushalmi. You see it? The Yerushalmi, Masenet Gitin, etc. Omar Avchista. Avchista is discussing Birkat Kohanim as it goes on in Shul. Today, as we do it today. So he says, the Chazan, he's got a problem if he's a Kohen. Because he's reading, he's reading Shmon Esrei, right? The Chazan. And, and suddenly, they have to call up the Kohanim. Now he, he the Chazan, he's a Kohen. So, so what does he do? I mean, we know what they do today in Eretz Israel. But this was a problem in the Gemara. Like, what happens if there's a Kohen who's a Chazan? <coughs> so Chista didn't like that. And when Chista said, Sorry, Chazan Yisrael. That the Chazan has to be a Yisrael. To be a Yisrael meaning that he can call up the Kohanim. Yeah. Does Chazan here mean what we mean by Chazan? Shilich Tzibur. It does mean Shilich Tzibur. Shilich Tzibur, yes. That's another meaning also. Okay, he was a functionary. Like a, like a shamash. Yeah. But here it means Chazan. Okay. Sheyeheya Chazan Yisrael. Omar Abchista. So Abchista goes along and says, Ima ya Kohen Echad. Omer Kohen. So if there's one Kohen in the shul, then the Shlich Tzibo, the Chazan, he's saying Shmona Esrei. He didn't repeat the Shmona Esrei. They only said the Shmona Esrei once in the time of the Tanoim in there, because most people did not have an art scroll sitter. <laughs> and therefore, either you knew it by pet or you didn't know it all. And therefore, what we call Shlich Tzibo, Chazarat Hashatz, we call it Chazarat Hashatz. But in those days, it was Shmona Esrei. That's how they said Shmona Esrei. The Shalir Tzibur knew it Baal Peh. That's how he got the job. And everybody else listened and said Amen to all of the brachot. Amen is not a knee-jerk reaction to something that you hear. But Amen means I agree and I, you know, I'm fulfilling my obligation. I have an obligation to say Shmona Esrei. When I say Amen, I say, oh, I did that bracha. On and on and on, until you get to Birkat Kohanim, which is part of the bracha called Shalom. So, Rachista said, If there's one Kohen in the shul, <coughs> you call out, Kohen, and he goes up, Right? Vishnayim Omer Kohanim. But there's more than one Kohen in the shul. You say Kohanim. Both of you come up. 
Rabuda Amar, Afilu Lechad Omekohanim, this is our Minhad. If there's only one Kohen, it is actually, our, our Minhad is very, very little strange, because if there are no Kohanim, we also say Kohanim. And then the Shlir Tzibur said, says the Birkat Kohanim on his own. But here we're talking about a Kohen, Kohanim. So Rabuno Meh, Filu Lechado Meh Kohanim. Why? Sheino Korei Ela Hashavet. Because the Shalir Tzibur is saying anybody in the world who is a Kohen can come up now. So even if I know there's only one Kohen in the Shul, I say Kohanim. Because I'm not excluding anybody. Anybody from the Shevet of the, of the Kohanim. Okay? And then it says, Shalotamar. And he goes on and he says this. Why is it so important to say Kohanim if there's only one Kohen? So his answer is, because you're calling up the whole Shevet. But why do I have to call up the whole Shevet? So, I mean, we're reading the Gemara now, right? This is uh, not something that just happened to fall out of my head. It's right here in the Gemara. He says, Shalotomar, Ish ploni migale arayot v'shofech damim v'hum v'archeinu. What do you mean, one Kohen? What happens is one Kohen in Shul, but I don't like him. He's not a nice guy. He's a well-known uh, debauncher a lecturer, a criminal, a murderer, right? All this one guy. So he says, he says so the student could say, me? I'm going to call up that guy to bless me? I mean, how could I, how could I really imagine that I would, that he would be blessing, blessing us? <coughs> no, I'm sorry. <coughs> right, the last line. What do you get yourself all up uh, excited about? Uh, who gives this bracha? God gives the bracha, not the Kohen. You have to give the bracha. That's what it says in the last pasuk. So I say, great, we've solved the problem. We have solved the problem. What problem haven't we solved? What problem haven't we solved? So what do you need it for? I said, if you're going to say that the Kohanim are involved, then the Shalir Tzibur doesn't want to uh, to get involved with Shofech uh, Damim and Mikalarayot. He's right. <coughs> and if it's true that Hakadosh Baruch Hu, if it's true that Hakadosh Baruch Hu, uh, uh, is the one who is giving the bracha, so what do I need the Kohen for? Why do I have the Kohen doing this whole thing and giving the bracha? Would it be enough for everybody to just say it in Shmon Ezra? That the Shlir Tzibur could say, as the Shlir Tzibur does say it, when there are no, when there are no Kohanim, when in Chutzlah it's all the time. That's a separate story. But even in Eretz Yisrael, if you have a shul with no Kohanim, it's very hard to mm-hmm. find a shul like this. In Eretz Yisrael, there's been a kind of proliferation of Kohanim. 
everybody wants to be there when the Bashir comes and the Beit HaMikdash starts operating. You know, you want to get your, you want to get your portion. So what is that? One more thing I want to tell you about Birkat Kohadeh. And that's the next source, which is the Gemara and Sota. The Gemara and Sota says, My Megoresh, you know, that every mitzvah that we do is preceded, uh, I say every, but most every mitzvah that we do is preceded by a bracha that's called Birkata Mitzvah. And the Nusach of the Birkata Mitzvah is Asher Gershav Mitzvotav Tzivan. And the purpose is apparently <coughs> that we should have kavanah, that we should understand that when we do this, we eat that piece of matzah on Pesach, or we shake the lulav on Sukkot, we're not doing it because everybody else is doing it, but we're doing it because HaKadosh Baruch told us to do it. So the way we do that, the way we remind ourselves that mitzvot are what HaKadosh Baruch told us to do, it's by saying, So the Gemara asks, what is the specific nusach of the bracha that Kohanim make when they do what the Torah told them to do? Which is to Birkat Kohanim. So the Gemara says, My Mabarech, Amar Rabbi. Amar Rabbi Zeira. Amar Abchisto, remember Abchisto, Rabzeira was in Eretz Yisrael, Abchisto was in Babel. Asher kidishanu b'kedushato shel Aaron, Asher kidishanu b'kedushato shel Aaron v'tzivanu l'varechet amo Yisrael b'ahava. There are two things about this bracha that you can't help noticing. Remember, every bracha that we make on a mitzvah is and there's no reason that the Kohanim couldn't have said that. So what is this business? I mean, I can explain the words. I don't mean that. I mean, why is there a deviation from what is the norm? Anytime there's a deviation, you can take note of it. Either it means something, or you just don't know pshat, because it always means something. Right? What the Chazal think? They made a hundred brachot, Asher Kedishan Mitzotah B'Tzivan, and they made one bracha, Asher Kedishan Mitzotah B'Tzivan, B'Tzivan, the second thing in the bracha, which is a little odd, M'Varech Et Amo Yisrael, Be'ahava. Now, what does Be'ahava have to do with the mitzvah to say Birkat Kohane? What sort of Be'ahava? First of all, Be'ahava is a difficult word. Right? You know that there's a mitzvah of Ava Sashem, and there's a mitzvah of Ava and Birkat Kohanim, and both of them are difficult. So, how do you do it? How do you do a mitzvah of Ahava? You know, can you do a matzah of Ahava? Can you do lulav of Ahava? The Rambam says that the mitzvah of Ahava Hashem is accomplished by looking very carefully at the world that God created. <coughs> that's Ba'ava. That is That's called Ba'ava, called Ava Hashem, according to the Rambam. So what does it mean here? Okay.
So the last source, which will be a little bit, it'll be a little bit difficult. So I'll, I'll thumper it a little bit. You know, just read it without explaining every word. But it's a passage from the Nefesh Hachayim. Nefesh, Nefesh Hachayim. What? Me? Hachayim Valajner Yefet. There's a book written by Rav Chaim after he became the Rosh Yeshiva, right? Rav Chaim was an emissary of the Vilna Gaon. He was the outstanding student of the Vilna Gaon. Rav Chaim had a brother who died very young, so of course in the, in the uh, necromancy it is stated that he was even greater than Rav. It was always the, you know, like, the greater one who dies unnoticed. But these two brothers were the outstanding students of the Villegon. <coughs> the Villegon was apparently not, a, not an easy teacher. He was not an easy teacher. Chaim Elogina says that when he came to the Villegon, he had a test. He, te- he tested him. So the Villegon said, What Masechet are you learning? He said, Shabbat. So the really goes said, okay, tell me daf after daf all the machlokot between Abaye and Rava. You understand? He didn't ask him about a specific thing. He just said, in your mind, start from daf betam and aleph, how many dafim are there in Shabbat? Kufnun and Vod. Right, 156. So he says, that means twice as many pages. 156, 312, 312, he says, go through, just tell me, is there a machloket? Just tell me what it is. And this was the Bechina to enable Rabbi Chaim Volodzor to become a Talmud. He wasn't interested in Rabbi Chaim Volodzor telling him his uh, thoughts on the matter. He just wanted to know if he knew the material. Like, did he know the material? So Chaim knew the material. He wrote a very interesting book called Nefesh Chaim, which in the tradition of the Gaon, in the tradition of the Gaon, if you look at the Nefesh Chaim, you'll see that he quotes the Zohar at least once on every page. And even though in yeshiva learning, which is sort of derivative from Volozhin, Volozhin became, you know, Aim HaYeshivot, it was called. It set the pattern. In Volozhin, in the yeshiva, they didn't learn Kabbalah. But Rav Chaim Volozhin taught a class in Kabbalah in his house. Weekly or bi-weekly, I don't know exactly how it was, but, but there was somehow agreement that the yeshiva, which was a more general form of education right, for everybody, was not the proper place to teach Kabbalah. A Kabbalah should be taught privately, only to the students who had aptitude for it. Now, this was an old idea, this is an old idea that the Ramban speaks about in his introduction to his commentary on the Torah, and the Ramban says, I'm not here to teach you Kabbalah. Somebody who wants to know Kabbalah should find a teacher and study Kabbalah. This is not my intention. My intention is to write a commentary on the Torah. Now, even though the Ramban 
in his commentary, speaks a lot about Kabbalistic matters, he, he apparently thought that, I mean, I'm, I'm making this part up so you don't have to agree. He thought that the Kabbalah that he taught was closer to interpretation than to Kabbalah. Like there is the, it, not all Kabbalah is on the same level of secrecy, apparently. But some things in Kabbalah you can teach, you know, people. And that's what the Ramban, that's what the Ramban taught. So the Nefesh HaChayim is a book that was written by Rechaim Velashenah, who had both traditions, the tradition of Nigle, what we call uh, the way we learn in yeshivas today, and the tradition of Nistar, which he got from the Vilna Gondi's teacher. He wrote a book called Nefesh HaChayim, and some people are aware of the fourth gate in that book, which is a... a a kind of um, a a, a polemic against Hasidut. Uh, And and therefore people still look at that sometimes. But the first two (coughs) Sha'arim, the first two gates of the book, are about the bracha. Like what does it mean to say Baruch Atah Hashem? Can you imagine that? Like you just think about it for a minute. If Baruch means you, Hashem, are blessed, you mean that what we're saying is, oh, I just noticed it. God is blessed. Or do I mean, I'm blessing God. You know, Baruch Atah, Baruch Atah Hashem. I am responsible, I, me, here, down wherever I am, I'm responsible for the Baruch of Hashem. I know it's hard to, to imagine, but that's what it might mean. So the Nefesh HaChayim was interested in explaining that possibility. That Baruch Hashem means that the Baruch for Hashem comes from us. We do it. And this is what he explains in, uh, in the part that's quoted here on the sheet. Sharabet, Perik Dal, at the end of the Perik. Ella. You see the, the word Ella? Shekolka, I'm going to read a bunch and explain it. But not every single word because it's a little tedious. Ella, Shekolka, Vanatli, Beta, Bekola, Brachot, Vatvilot, Tzarich, Shetiel, Atzmut, Ain't So, Parochun. That means the Kavanah, when we make a bracha, it was, what he's saying is that the bracha is disattached from the mitzvah. It's true that the bracha was originated as a birkat mitzvah, the bracha that we're talking about, but the bracha has a life of its own. It exists. <coughs> it means something. So he says, Sarichet Yelat Smut. There's something called atzmut, the essence of it, the essence of God. And he says, "Mitzad it chabro so he's describing something. 
is describing that a, there's a need that people have to cleave to God, to be with God, to feel that kind of a, of a special uh, of a special connection. That's what he's talking about. Now, this is not such a strange thing. Every religious person says something similar. The third line says, says, All of these things, any kind of feeling that you have, good and positive or negative, it somehow all connects you, it could connect you to HaKadosh Baruch to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. On the fourth line, there's a mistake here. There's a mistake here. There's a mistake so God wants the relationship to develop. God wants man, created man, created woman, to have a relationship with HaKadosh Baruch. And therefore that relationship is volatile and changing and, and things are happening all, of, all the time. I'm, I'm now on line six. And that's what we mean when we say that the mitzvot <coughs> were given litzareif and abriyot. Litzareif means when you, when you smelt uh, iron and you take out the imperfections from it. That's called the tzareh. The same thing is true about the tzareh and abriyot. We can be better than we are. We can do more than we do. All we have to do is cleave to God. And then we see that we can do all of these things, right? These elements in the iron that have to be taken, that have to be taken out. That God is ultimately the determining, the determining factor, but we can will it. We can say we want to be with God. <coughs> and then the relationship between man and God is changed. And so, well, I just finished the paragraph. Uh, so if I had to, if I had to, uh, I had to explain. Why do we do a mitzvah? Why do we do a mitzvah? We do the mitzvah because God told us the mitzvah. 
And so on Pesach night when we eat matzah, we don't have a problem. We know why we're eating the matzah. We may not know every possible, we may not know every halacha, but we know that we're eating the matzah because the Torah tells us to eat the matzah. If, <coughs> if that's the case, why did Chazal tell us to say Baruch Hashem? Why did Chazal tell us to say Baruch Hashem? Why? We know that we're eating the matzah because we know that we're eating the matzah because it's a mitzvah. So along comes the bracha. And the bracha, this is, I'm telling you what the Nebuchadnezzar says. The bracha is Baruch Hashem. It doesn't remind us that this is a mitzvah in the Torah. It reminds us that doing what God wants us to do is a tremendous power. It's not just Boy Scout points at the end of which you get a prize. What is that called? That's called Sachar. That's called Sachar. And the Rambam says, the Rambam says if you do the mitzvahs and you're careful about how you live, life becomes easier. Because HaKadosh Baruch wants you, the Rambam says, the Baruch wants you to be able to do more mitzvot. And of course people are downtrodden and poor and unable and, and, and they can't do the mitzvot as they would like to. Who can do the mitzvot well? People have a little money. People have a little time. People who are not pressured by life. So that's called sachar. That's called sachar. The, the, what you get, <coughs> what you get, if you do the mitzvot. But besides the sachar, which is what you get for doing what God said you should do, doing the mitzvot is an opportunity. Not an opportunity to get schar. An opportunity to change yourself. Because when you do what God wants you to do, you're sort of in God's head. I mean, if you could say such a thing. But you're with God. You're with God. So it's a baruch I'm affecting. I'm affecting God because God wants this to happen. He wants me to do the mitzvot, but not because it's a deal. These many mitzvot for that many, for that much of a credit card. God wants you to do the mitzvot because, because it changes the relationship of he or she who were created <coughs> with the creator. And that change is called dvekut. He doesn't use that word here. Vekut means to cleave to God. That somehow, so that the idea of bracha, the idea of bracha, and that's what, what the Dab uh, Shechayim the, uh, says, that the idea of bracha is that you can change the nature of your relationship with that Kaddish book. From, on the one hand, totally passive, of just doing what I'm supposed to do, what I was told to do, to more active, the more part, being part of. So if we go back <coughs> to the questions that we asked earlier, is it why is it why is it that the Kohanim are involved in this process? If the Nefesh teaches us that Baruch Hashem means 
that the bracha could change my life. What difference does it make if I give, I could give myself the bracha, or I could have Kohanim give the bracha? What the Kohanim? What exactly did the Kohanim do for me? Furthermore, we saw in the Gemara in Yerushalmi and Gitin that the Kohanim are not necessarily great people. I mean, if you go to Shul in the morning and their Kohanim will go up, so okay, you know, Birkat Kohanim, but it's hard to say that the Kohanim of today are so much different than the non-Kohanim of today. I mean, they might be exemplary Kohanim, but they don't necessarily have to be. So this is a problem. This is a problem that we that we brought up. So now listen to the theory which originates, I saw originally the Malbim says it and other acronyms say it. Malbim here and these psukim. Asher Asher Kirishanum You see, you remember the bracha? The bracha Asher Kirishanum Kirishato Shel Aharon Asher Kirishanum Kirishato Shel Aharon What do the Kohadim announce about themselves? They say they have a special measure of kedusha of sanctity, and we all agree with that, because the kohanim, the kohanim have the right to run around in the Beit Hamikdash when we don't have that right. We can go for only into the Beit Hamikdash for specific reasons at specific times, but the kohanim, the kohanim can go at other times when we cannot go. And so you could ask, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu order things that way? I mean, who needs those Kohanim? Why can't we just have any group of people going in and serve the Beit HaMikdash on a particular day? Why does it have to be Kohanim? Why does it have to be Kohanim? Why does the bracha that the Kohanim make stress the fact that they are Kohanim? So the answer is, the answer is that the Kohanim serve a different purpose. Their purpose is not to give a bracha. I can do that just as well by myself by saying Baruch Hashem in any bracha that I make if I can think about it. What is it that the Kohanim remind me of? They remind me of the fact that not every person is the same under the banner of Kiddushah. But that the Torah distinguishes. You don't do anything. Kohanim have Kiddushah, Toshel, Aharon. They're different. But what does it remind me of when I look at those Kohanim? That I can also do that. In, in, in other words, the Kohanim their job is not to give the bracha, but to remind us that the bracha could have a result. And the result of the bracha would be extra kedusha, extra connectedness, extra connected to HaKadosh Baruch. So when the Kohanim are instructed to give the bracha, they're not instructed to give the bracha. They're instructed to awaken me to the idea that my position vis-a-vis HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not fixed. et shemi, Right? That's, it. That's why it says in the, in the Pasuk 
Once B'nai Yisrael understand what the issue is, and that they have to somehow, they have to somehow comply, they have to be in tune with Baruch Atah Hashem, as the Nebuchadnezzar says. Once that happens, then So there are two brachot that are discussed. What is like a formal bracha? The Kohanim say these words, three psukim, short, direct, is a bracha. But when is when it's the Samuel at Shemi of B'nai Yisrael, when they effect a change in B'nai Yisrael, then there's a guarantee that Baruch Hu will be responsive to their bracha. So that again, the idea is that the Kohanim were not the Shlichim and not the conduits for bracha. But they were the ones who tried to activate my own understanding of my relationship to Akadish Bokhu and to make me into a Brocha Seyer, Baruch Hashem, as the Nevzachayim as the uh, pointed out. <coughs> okay, let me stop so I don't have to call again. Have a good Shabbos. Uh, happy Yom Yerushalayim.